In my backyard, there's a stump. It's gray and old and weathered. It's rotting from the inside. But where this stump now stands, there was once a sugarberry tree. During the winters, the tree's fruit provided food for robins and cedar waxwings. And in the summer, its leaves were food for the caterpillars of morning cloak, American snout, and hackberry emperor butterflies. Those caterpillars, in turn, were, of course, food for chickadees and migrating warblers. It was a place of great abundance of life. But a storm came along and damaged the tree beyond repair, so that it had to be cut down. Emily and I decided to just leave the stump, letting it be food for fungi, and we never mowed very close around it. We were surprised then that a few years later, a new sugarberry tree began to grow just beside the stump, rising up from the roots. It was a sign that what we had thought was dead was, in fact, still alive. Isaiah knew trees like this. He knew that even if a tree is cut down to the ground, that some trees can regenerate from their roots and rise to new life. And he found in this natural sign hope for another kind of life, not the life of a tree, but the life of the nation of Israel. For Isaiah, Israel and Judah, this kingdom that God had established, had become identified for him in the figure of one person, the king who sat on the throne established by David. Now, I'm an American, and so not all that's into monarchs. And I know it's a little bit of a heresy around here, but... I was not even that into Queen Elizabeth II. I just thought of her with a little bit of an ambivalent shrug. But when she died, I was chastened by some English friends as I read their reflections on her death and all that she had meant to them. I saw how a monarch can embody the whole ethos and character of a people. And it was that way for ancient Israel with the throne of David and, and whoever sat on it. But Isaiah was in a situation where that throne was threatened. The king that was at that time, Ahaz, felt afraid of many of the nations that were rising around him. And he was contemplating selling out the throne for the sake of security, to just become a vassal state for the empire of Assyria. So Isaiah turned to this image of new life rising from a stump to imagine a different kind of hope 
in the face of the despair of his current situation. Now, most of us are probably not worried about preserving any dynastic monarchies, but I'm sure that we all have in our own lives trees that are dead or dying, realities that have been cut bare down to the stump. It may be a felled relationship, work that has been lost in its meaning. It may be that we are struggling with caring for a child who's going through that hard transition into adulthood and all of the worries and pains that can come alongside that. It may be that we've become so tired of life as it is that we've contemplated a permanent break from it all. And I want to say that in Isaiah's vision, Isaiah is providing us with some hope, a kind of hope that we can turn to even when it seems like all is lost and all that we loved is nothing but a stump. Now, Isaiah, as I said, was prophesying the beautiful passage of Scripture that we heard this morning right in the midst of a situation of complete and total despair. We have to ask, how could Isaiah have such hope? How could he envision a return of the kingdom when he knew, looking into the void, that Ahaz was about to sell out the kingdom, and that on down the road, everything was coming together for Israel to become captive by Babylon, the throne destroyed along with the temple. Everything that made sense of their lives was about to be lost. And yet it's in the very midst of this that Isaiah is able to have such a hopeful vision. Isaiah was able to have this hopeful vision because he had a particular kind of hope. It wasn't the kind of hope that was attached to an outcome, like a child hoping that Santa Claus will bring them a particular gift under the Christmas tree. Instead, this hope was a trust, a trust not in a particular outcome, but in the steadfast love and mercy of God knowing that God in his mercy will bring about our good in the end, even if it requires resurrection from the dead. Now, this kind of hope that Isaiah has is offered to us. We're invited into it in this Advent season. But it's not the kind of hope that we can buy or possess Instead, it's a hope that is a gift that we are invited to practice. And the practice of this hope has some various elements that we can learn from Isaiah's example. And the first is that we must learn to leave the stumps and let the ground lie fallow. If Emily and I had ground up the stump in our backyard, if we had mowed over that spot, then there would have been no chance for a new tree to grow in its place. 
regenerating from the roots. I think in that example, we too in our lives are called to allow the places of grief and loss to remain and be there in our lives. Our temptation might be to just cover those things over and push them to the side. But I think Isaiah is calling us to let those be, because it's from those places of loss and grief that God can bring new life into our midst. We also must learn to wait. It took waiting for that tree to grow again. And Isaiah knew that it would take a great deal of waiting before the kingdom that God had established would return and that David's throne would once again be occupied. We must learn to wait in silence and patience, knowing that deep down in the earth, there is life being regenerated at the roots. I don't like to wait, and all of us have plenty of opportunities for it these days. My temptation so often is to fill those times of waiting with activity, to stand in a line and pull out my phone, sit in a waiting room, and open a book. But each of those moments is an invitation to practice waiting, to practice waiting so that we can then welcome the hope that God is stirring in the depths of our hearts. And in that waiting, we should also learn another practice that Isaiah offers, and it's a practice of expectant openness. Isaiah couldn't quite imagine exactly how his vision might be fulfilled. He knew that he could trust that God was going to reestablish this throne of David, but he couldn't have imagined that the one who would occupy it would ultimately be a Messiah whose coronation happened on a cross or that God would bring new life through the resurrection of Jesus. So in our waiting for God's hope to come, we too must learn to be open for the surprises that God is ready to bring into our lives. And in that openness, we will find new wonders. Those wonders have been happening in my backyard. As this sugarberry tree has regenerated from the roots and grown again, once more its fruit is offering food for for, uh, robins and cedar waxwings in the winter, and its leaves are serving each summer as a nursery for butterflies. Around its ba- the base of the stump, a rabbit made her nest, and we were able to get up close to those baby bunnies. It wasn't quite the lion lying down with the lamb, but it was a kind of healing of that predator-prey relationship. And a ribbon snake also made her nest under the stump. My daughters and wife were able to play with those snakes, a little bit like the child playing over 
the adder's den. Isaiah's vision is coming to life, and I know will come alive, alive even more in my place. And it continues to be a sign of the kind of hope that we can have in God. When we turn away from hope bound to expectations of particular things, but instead a hope rooted in a deep trust in God's great mercy. We can be assured that in that trust, God is working a new thing, an abundant thing, that is beyond anything that we could ever ask for or imagine. Amen.